I'm able to absorb a lot of information for all kinds of different contexts and then create a cohesive, inspiring vision out of that. If I say to people now I'm an introvert person, they, they laugh. That's something you grow into because you feel that that is a capability you need to become successful. Get out of your comfort zone and become the better version of yourself. And to see people grow, that makes me a happy person. This is CRNet TV, my name is Hendrik Deckers. I am here today with Erwin Verstralen, who is the Chief Digital and Innovation Officer of the Port of Antwerp. Yeah. Welcome Erwin. Thank you Hendrik. Uh, Erwin graduated uh, from the University of Antwerp um, with a Master in Applied Economic Sciences and then completed his studies with an MBA. He started his career as an organizational consultant at Creditbank, one of the biggest banks in Belgium. And throughout his career, he discovered his appetite for strategic thinking, primarily in the domains of business and IT strategy and the alignment between the two. From 2011 onwards, uh, he was the first ever CIO of AVV, which is the biggest full service partner for uh, farmers and growers in Belgium, uh, and where he was responsible for all IT related matters at group level. In 2017, his dream came true. As a maritime transport economist by training, he was granted the honor to become the chief digital and innovation officer of the port of Antwerp. That's true. Again, very warm welcome. Erwin, in this uh, conversation, I, um, I wanted to start uh, to talk about how uh, the Port of Antwerp has become a harbor that is an open innovation platform. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, the starting point, of course, for us was who are we as a port yes. looking forward, uh, given the fact that we are faced with many challenges. And then, of course, everybody these days thinks about digitization, which is, of course, an important one. But we are basically confronted with a perfect storm. Right? It is not just digitization. It's also about energy transition, climate change, mobility, the ability to grow as a port. Do you have the right space? There's still a societal willingness to invest in port infrastructure. Geopolitics eh, from America, Russia, yeah. uh, Brexit. I just mentioned the three most important trading partners of the Port of Antwerp. So you can imagine that geopolitics is one hell of a thing. And uh, we, we, we are feeling, we are a sensor of the global economy, immediately feeling anything that shifts. Eh? So all of these things come together and create what I call the perfect storm. So how do you turn that from a challenge or maybe some people would say a problem into an opportunity? Yeah. And for us, that was a starting point for an entire strategic cycle, starting from who are we? So mission vision, then going into uh, new strategic priorities and then uh, looking at how can digitization help in achieving those goals. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned how did the port became an open innovation platform. Well, we saw so much opportunities in technology, but we wanted to avoid that every time we went out from the port to uh, the outside world looking for a solution linked to a problem. Mm -hmm. yeah? What we find much more relevant and much more interesting is to invite people and invite organizations that are working on innovative technologies to mm -hmm. come to us, demonstrate that they okay. work, 
-hmm. and by doing so inspire us to incorporate them in the way we work. Yeah? Uh, we feel and we see that as a much more enriching approach towards innovation than just an inside-out approach. So the, the, the port had a problem with innovation or it needed to reinvent itself or it was a strategic vision from, from government or what was the, the starting point? Of well, the starting point was the arrival of the new CEO huh, two years ago who uh, has part of his vision said well uh, either the port is going to be digital or there's going to be no port so that was an acknowledgement of everything that was going on mm -hmm. then of course he created my job as part of an executive committee so you put digital and innovation as part of a, uh, say, a governance structure, the highest decision-taking organization in your uh, company. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, um, it was basically facilitating innovation. When I created my organization, I didn't install an innovation team because I do not believe in an approach where you say, we have an innovation team. Because my first reaction then is, and what does everybody else do in this organization? The truth is, if you ask me, innovation is everywhere, but you have to be able to make it surface and to give it an opportunity to blossom. So I have an innovation enablement team mm -hmm. that amongst others has said, okay, we open up this port as an innovation platform. We're gonna create ecosystems with partners, academia and so on to keep working together. Mm -hmm. We're going to experiment with new technologies, not to prove that the technology works, but to prove the value to the organization. So the faster we can show, listen, this is what virtual reality can be, this is what robotic process automation can do, this is what sensors can do, this is what cameras can do, then you see them picking it up and say, oh, wait a minute, if that's feasible, then I got a couple of ideas for that, you see? Yep. And then finally, creating open innovation platforms where people can, can bring in their ideas, they get supported, and we see how we can bring it from an idea to a proof of value, to implementing that in our day-to-day -day operations. Okay, great. So if you ask me, did we have an innovation problem? I don't think so. If you see in a time frame of less than a year and a half what has already been achieved, it's about facilitating innovation, but we weren't in a dire need to do more innovation. No. Okay, and could you give a couple examples of, of the innovations that have happened and yeah. the results they had? Uh, a couple of innovations out of the back of my mind. Uh, so we have created an autonomous vessel. So a vessel that does not require any human oversight. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to deploy that in the busiest dock. So in terms of ambition, that's really setting the bar to do depth soundings because the manned vessel was always too late to arrive at the location where depth soundings needed to happen mm -hmm. uh, because of the, the fact that it's so busy over there. Yeah. Um, we have over 500 cameras in the port. We apply technology behind it to make them smart, meaning that out of video images you can get data, recognition mm -hmm. of this is a truck, this is a train, this is a car. Uh, we apply that also to identify objects on K walls. So this is a fender, this is a bollard, mm -hmm. allowing us to become much more efficient in object detection and then from there on giving us signals on what is happening or to improve maintenance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We did robotic process automation, proof of values to show to the organization if you take a typical process out of our own organization, what you get as an output. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also played around with low-level technology, eh? just to make the point that it doesn't necessarily always have to be technology. Eh? Mm -hmm. So we had the bolt indicator, which is a piece of plastic you put on a bolt on a 
large steel bridge mm -hmm. just to see if the bolt becomes loose then that piece of plastic shifts as well and then you can visually visually see that there's something wrong instead of doing an inspection yep. we have to close down the bridge so in terms of cost with peanuts in terms of impact gigantic mm -hmm. yeah. and more important than just doing these kind of experiments because i can go on and on and on is about that at all the levels in the organizations did those examples or did those ideas pop up yeah? mm -hmm. so at the lowest operational level deep in the organization up to the highest levels in headquarters you saw these innovation yep. ideas popping up so in fact you you and, and, and the team and the CEO, you created a, a culture that allowed innovation as well. Yeah, well, we are doing everything we can to create that culture. Mm -hmm. And so far, I must say that we're uh, doing okay uh, based upon the output. And also, if you start talking about that internally and you show what you're doing, you see people really straightening their back and, mm -hmm. and, and getting proud and even uh, get a flush on their face like, are, are we doing this? Is this uh, something that uh, we are allowed to do uh, and that we are actually doing? Uh? Yeah. Even yesterday, my own team is about 100 people. Mm -hmm. We did an internal team meeting and we had 10 projects uh, set out, even with hardware and, and cameras and things that have, we have done in infrastructure. And people were able to walk around and in 10 minutes time get a short overview of what that specific project or initiative was. Mm -hmm. Even within my team, people said, I didn't know we were doing this and it really makes me proud. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the culture is all about facilitating, but also making people proud and turning their mindset from a risk averse approach, mm -hmm. which is often expressed in terms of yeah. yes, but into a what if mentality. Mm -hmm. yeah? uh, making people think in terms of if we would be able to do this, if we would embrace that, what would be feasible? What could we do different? And yeah. if that's starting to get settled in an organization and you start to feel that that is starting to pick up speed, that's a very important point. Mm -hmm. Now to create a culture, uh, to change a culture is not an easy thing. To create a culture of, 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 of innovation and of trust where people uh, express their minds and come up with ideas. So did you have a specific method to change the culture or what was the approach to do that? So, because that's not an easy thing, right? No. When I came in, um, I fairly soon started to talk about my vision towards success. Mm -hmm. So I said, we as a team, uh, the digital and innovation team, which is a new team, okay, it encapsulates the entire former IT department. Yeah. But if you have that kind of a role, such as my, in the executive committee, that means that what is being expected from, let's call it the old IT department, mm -hmm. is totally gonna change. So how, how do you make people aware of that fact? And then secondly, act according to what is expected. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, if you ask me, what is the definition of success for our team? It's a function of three things. First of all, being very clear on strategic goals, which we created as part of the organization being very much prepared to make sure that you have all the competencies, organization, governance, architecture, technology in place, right? your target operating model. Mm -hmm. But the core of it all, it's in the middle, it's attitude. Right? And for me, it's about empowerment, giving people the opportunity to go out and do new stuff, to take risk, yep. and knowing that failure is part of that, but that's called a learning experience. Right? 
Secondly, it's about ambition, setting the, the bar really high, yep. stretching the organization, stretching everyone in the team, and then by doing so, letting them evolve into what they have to be. Mm -hmm. And then third, but uh, most importantly, is the mindset. It's mm -hmm. about problems on the one hand and opportunities on the other hand. Mm -hmm. And going from that approach and that view towards something new and unprecedented and risky towards yeah. let's embrace it and let's do something with it and see what comes out of it. Yeah. That is what I've always put forward from the beginning, what I keep on repeating. It's also embedded in our mission statement as a team. It's embedded in what we do. And I continuously try to make the dots between what we have done and that recipe for what I call success. Mm -hmm. And the mission statement of your team is? The initial one is basically saying the message, okay, we are very much in digital innovation, but do not forget that uh, we're still responsible for keeping the lights on. Yeah. Uh, so that is the foundation for credibility and trust. Yeah. If we lose that, then we will not ever be able to sit around the table and say, yeah, we're going to do digital and innovation. They say, you know, can you fix the Wi-Fi for yeah. me, please? And do you make sure that my portable still functions? We're still accountable for that. Yeah. And even if you would outsource all of that, you're still accountable because it, when it doesn't work, they yeah. knock on the door with you and they yeah. say, fix this. That's important because a lot of people initiative that are focusing on keeping the lights on felt a little bit lost, like we are not relevant anymore because it's all about digital and innovation. I say, mm -hmm. oh, oh, wait a minute. First of all, you're also entitled to be very innovative, mm -hmm. huh? even if you're in the run mode. And secondly, you're the foundation for everything that we're going to build on top of it. So yep. if that doesn't work, everything falls apart. Uh, and okay, and then the rest of the, the paragraphs is about us being ambitious and being the guiding light. It's about uh, not only looking at our own organization, but also being the community builder for the ecosystem in the port. Eh? Mm -hmm. um, as a side note, we have four roles as a port authority. We are landlord, operator, regulator. Those are the more traditional roles. Yeah. But we have certainly the last two years, certainly since the new CEO came on board, emphasized our community builder role. Okay. Being there for the 900 plus companies that are active in the port and other stakeholders like Customs, Food and Drug Administration and mm -hmm. so on. And there the digital is also very much relevant to facilitate that ecosystem to embrace the capabilities what digitization provides and other innovative tech. Yeah. Uh, and we are a driving force in that as well. Okay, and how did you turn, let's say, a, a traditional IT organization, I guess, into a IT plus digital plus innovation team? Did you have to change teams, uh, expand it, yeah. get new people in? How, how did you do that? Well, my team exists of out of six competency centers, of which two were more or less existing and four new ones. Okay. So th that's already an indication that a lot of things changed. Mm -hmm. So I have Digital Business Solutions, mm -hmm. which is the team building and maintaining applications. Uh, we have uh, a set of core systems on which the port runs, mm -hmm. and that is not commercial off-the-shelf software, so I have a very substantial development team. Okay. Yeah. That is also responsible for, the, uh, for building port community systems. So uh, systems that are being used throughout the port, uh, for example, for booking a slot at a container terminal as a barge operator, for doing all the required uh, legal um, 
notifications with an incoming ship on dangerous cargo, customs and so on. So we facilitate that. That's basically happening in every port around the planet. Um, so that's what that team does. That's custom software. That's custom software. But when I came in, I was baffled to see that they, were, uh, they already had embraced everything which was modern and new. Okay. Very much open source minded, okay. very much focusing on scalability, uh, into Docker architectures, into Kafka and so on, to, to, to be able to inject enormous data streams, uh, 700 data elements per second coming from incoming ships and those kind of things. So they had already embraced those things because they had to, because of the scale and the data flow that is coming through these kind of uh, applications. Okay. Then secondly, infrastructure services, because um, yeah, given the business critical nature of IT support in a 24-7, 365 days a year environment. The yeah. port never closes down. Um, we have our own fiber network, 170 kilometers of fiber uh, in the port, two active data centers, 12 radar towers, 500 cameras and so on. And that you manage yourself? And that we manage ourselves. Wow. It's fully managed internally. And I saw a lot of opportunities also as a community builder to leverage that infrastructure for the stakeholders, for the port community as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, maybe as a backbone, for example, the fiber uh, network as a backbone for a 5G network or uh, making parts of that network accessible for companies in the port that have an issue with network connectivity. Yeah. Yeah. That, kind of, that kind of an idea. And then I have my four new competence centers. Mm -hmm. The first one uh, being cyber resilience, mm -hmm. which is not about cybersecurity, but the next level, which is, okay, we do everything we can to avoid a cyber incident, but when it happens, are we ready to deal with it? Yeah, that's important. Secondly, um, innovation enablement. We already touched on that. It's a, a small team that is enabling innovation to blossom in our organization by making sure innovative ideas from inside the organization get on the radar, creating those ecosystems of academia, uh, startup communities and so on from an outside in view, making sure we, have, we are an innovation platform for mm -hmm. drones, uh, smart cameras, autonomous vessels and so on. And then finally, uh, experiment like hell with all these new technologies and do that in short cycles to see what it uh, can provide. Then data and analytics, mm -hmm. because it was fairly obvious for me when I came in that historically the organization who has tons of data only use them for operational purposes. For example, in the nautical traffic management, where is a ship now? Mm -hmm. And then after services had been delivered to make sure we send out an invoice. But what do you get out of that data if you start collecting it from an, from, from an historical perspective? and do some interesting things on that. Yeah. Do you see patterns? Does it allow you to go from analytical to predictive to prescriptive? Right? Yeah. So the next frontier in data and analytics, because we have a huge amount of people doing data and analytics, but data scientists that go after the next big thing, the needle in the haystack, mm -hmm. the insights, that is a new frontier for us as well. And then finally, the CDIO office, where I wanted to consolidate all the holistic capabilities in vendor management, uh, contract management, capacity management, and so on, because I knew that a lot of the strategic projects would have a very, very significant IT footprint that I had to make sure I was ready to deal with that. Okay. 
and how easy was it to to attract people and i mean yeah. data scientists are very rare yes all the new innovative uh, innovation people they all want to go and work for a startup so how did you attract these people to come working for let's say a more traditional business like a port well uh, i was very blessed to find out that i already had a lot of potential in-house okay right? that was waiting for the opportunity to happen and um for me, it was important to spot early on who are the key drivers towards that transition and to embrace those new capabilities and competencies. And towards that respect, I, I, uh, I remember, I will always remember a very good analyst note I once read from Garner, who stated that in a transition, um, you have to make sure that you divide your team very early on in four groups, your sprinters, your runners, your walkers, and those who do not move. And the traditional mistake a lot of companies make in dealing with change and change management mm -hmm. is to focus all their energy on the walkers and those who do not move. But the latter group doesn't move. So it doesn't make any sense to focus on them. You have to isolate them and eliminate them if needed. It are the sprinters and the runners you have to focus on because they are already in their mindset there. They understand what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. They're just waiting for the opportunity to go. Huh? Yeah. And they will gradually convince the walkers to move along okay now that might sound a little bit blunt but it works you know and uh, so I've, I've allowed a lot of people to move to different positions eh? mm -hmm. I created new functions like an enterprise architect business architects and those kind of people that are creating those ecosystems so platform builders not from a technology point of view no. but from a community point of view so, and then we went into an organization design exercise where my extended leadership team were allowed to create their dream team. Mm -hmm. Starting from the, the potential and the competencies they have and complementing them with what they thought was needed. So a lot of new functions were created yeah. and we are now in the process of filling them in. Now, uh, to your point, everybody wants to work for a startup. I slightly disagree. Mm -hmm. Uh, we are able to attract young people uh, and less young people because they're also still <laughs> very, very relevant because of what we are able to provide. Mm -hmm. huh? And uh, part of my uh, responsibility, I think, is to also go out and spread the news. So I speak at a lot of conferences. Mm -hmm. I speak for a lot of audience to make clear what a port is in 2019, yep. that it is far, far away from a cargo in, cargo out port. And that attracts people because you have this ecosystem, and if you're a data, system, data scientist, yes, of course, you're requested everywhere, but where do you make the biggest impact? That's very visible yep. in a port area, and you're allowed to play around with incredible data sets, incredible data sets mm -hmm. that uh, allow you to be very, very, very innovative and creative to come up with fancy, interesting, and operational applicable applications. So you see it as, as your role as CIO, as, as Chief Digital and Innovation Officer, um, you see it as your role to um, do the marketing of your IT department to the outside world and to uh, picture it as, as a very attractive environment to work. That's part of the reason why I do that. Yeah. But what I see happening, right, uh, certainly over the last six months or so, is that the commercial team of the port takes that messaging of digital and innovation okay. with them 
as they go out and position the port. Yeah. It's becoming really an element of competitive positioning when you're talking to future investors or yeah. those who want to bring trade to the port. They say, whoa, if all of this is happening, we want to be part of it. Yeah. Because at the same time, these kind of companies are also trying to figure out what they can do and they say, maybe can, we can work together. So it's not just marketing, it's becoming part of our competitive positioning, which we felt when we started doing this, that, that mm -hmm. would eventually become uh, the driving force. But it is happening, as we speak, faster than I had anticipated. Mm -hmm. I've been in workshops with clients where the commercial team brought them in and said, well, we would like to introduce you to our innovation and digital strategy. And that creates one hell of a connection between two parties. Okay, mm -hmm. very interesting. So that's a way for the port of Antwerp to differentiates itself from the port of Rotterdam and Hamburg and other and, and so it's a, uh, a competitive tool, uh, a way to attract new business. Yeah, now the two you mentioned are also doing <laughs> really great with, with regards to uh, digital and innovation, which uh -huh. I think we are obliged because we are the three biggest ports in Europe. Uh -huh. We are front runners in the world as well. Huh? Okay. So we are, a, we are a world port, we are very good connected around the world. I've been in all kinds of places, everywhere on the planet. We know that we are on the right track. Huh? We will never say, oh, we are the best, the biggest, the smartest. That's mm -hmm. not, not, not a right attitude. Yep. Huh? Uh, and, and also internally when we say, okay, we're doing, a, we're doing great. Yes, but we are obliged to do so. If you have the arrogance to call yourself a world port, you have to be a front runner as well, yep. also in the digital area. Huh? Yep. So uh, we should never be complacent about what we do. But uh, I think, yeah, we're doing okay. But let's, let's say that the others who got it also are doing very good efforts to make sure that they are part of that front-runner group. Do you collaborate with Rotterdam and Hamburg, other ports, and exchange ideas, platforms? Well, yes, well, we're certainly in the uh, exchange of idea phase. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, there is an initiative called Chainport, which brings together the 12 some of the most important ports, those 12 together represent 50% of the global container trade. Mm -hmm. And so it includes ports such as Hamburg, Rotterdam, US, Barcelona, Montreal, uh, Shenzhen, Busan, Singapore. So fairly big and well uh, developed ports. Mm -hmm. And we have several working groups where we exchange ideas, where we try to collaborate. And last year in uh, uh, September, we organized the first Chainport Hackathon that took place here in Antwerp and in parallel in Los Angeles, where more than 450 participants for, I think, more than 50 organizations uh -huh. came and uh, had their creativity work on six challenges we had defined. Uh, and for me, it was really interesting to see that although we have lots of resources, those 12 ports together, and that we have common challenges, which mm -hmm. is also very interesting given the fact that the DNA of the port is sometimes completely different, and that we know pretty much what we need to do, that yet you will always surprised by creative ideas that come out of a hackathon if you allow others to look at your port and say, yeah, well, wait a minute, maybe if you would do this and this and combine that. So we have harvested a lot of ideas that we are able to combine now to come up with mm -hmm. uh, innovative ideas, breakthroughs, and applications to be. Could you give an example of some of the 
well, the I'll, I'll funkiest you... ideas that you well, are implementing? The funkiest. <laughs> uh, one of the things, that, uh, let, let, let me tell the story of the winner. Huh? We came up with the idea uh, to, to work on uh, the ETA, which is the expected time of arrival. Huh? It's yeah. an expression of a ship on where, when, it, when it aims to be in the port. Yeah. Now that's an expression of an intent. Mm -hmm. Because between that intent and actually arriving in the port, a lot of things happen. A lot of stakeholders are involved to make it happen. Pilots on the sea, pilots on the river, tugboats, port authorities and so on. So what if you would be able, based on historical data, to calculate a probability that that will happen? Like Waze calculates it for me well, to arrive yeah. at my yeah. destination with my yeah. car. Using all kinds of data sets, eh, historical patterns around the ship, eh, the exact location where the ship is now, weather patterns and so on. And then link that to all the stakeholders in making that happen to say, listen, that ETA expressed by a ship will not happen if you, Mr. Pilot, yeah. or you, Mr. Tugboat owner, do not raise your capacity in four hours from now, because yeah. otherwise you will say, I don't have a tugboat, I don't have a pilot anymore. Mm -hmm. So making that vulnerability in that entire chain visible by leveraging historical data. Yeah. That's just one example. Okay, very cool. So the, your, your role as a CIO is much around organizing change. You've, you've uh, uh, created a new operating model as well for IT and digital in, and, and innovation. Um, we talked about how you manage your team, attract uh, your team. So let's talk a bit about leadership because that's, that's I think, important as well. How do you look at leadership in, in your organization? Yes. Um, when I left my former employer, one of my team members, uh, he wrote me a very nice quote on my LinkedIn profile. You can check it out. And he said, Edwin is very much about spotting opportunities to create future leaders. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. we live in it. I was really flattered by that. Because my strong, it's my DNA to make sure that everybody is capable of using his or her talents to the maximum. Mm -hmm. Now, the first question is then, what is your talent? Eh? Uh, for some people, that's not easy. Eh? Sometimes if you ask the question, they say, that's a good question, but actually <laughs> I don't know. And so then how are you going to become the better version of yourself if you yeah. don't know that? But that was a side note. But creating leadership is about holding a mirror in front of people all the time. Not acting as a manager saying, you know what, I'll tell you what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Now, what, prior to when I joined and when the new CEO came, uh, CEO came on board, sorry, it was very much a risk-averse kind of culture. So basically stimulating, tell me what I need to do, then I'm in the safe zone. Yeah. All of a sudden, that's gone. It's about, listen, this world is so fast in the way it changes. We need all the brain capacity out there. I'm not as arrogant to believe that I can tell to 100 people what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Let's turn it around. You are here to inspire me to take the next step with my organization at large and you in it. Mm -hmm. And I told them, if at the end of the year or at the end of the quarter, you go and stand in front of the mirror and ask yourself the question, where did I create value? Where did I... Uh, leverage myself, you have to make sure you have an answer to that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you have a problem. Not me, you. Huh? Yeah. So uh, I am here to help you to progress, to ask 
questions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes questions you don't want to hear, but nevertheless. But they're aimed to create the better version of yourself. But I do not want people around me who come in and say, I have a problem, and then it stops. I want people who say, I have a problem, well, maybe we can turn it into an opportunity, mm -hmm. but I have three options in mind, what do you think? That's the kind of attitude I want. Yeah. And that's the kind of attitude I stimulate, and you have always the front runners who show that, and then you give them the floor and say, well, this is what these guys have done, mm -hmm. so what about you? Huh? Yeah. And it's that continuous focus, because once I'm able to do that, and I see that the ball is starting to roll, I have the easiest job on the planet. And then I can go out and talk about all we, what we are doing yeah. for commercial teams, for stakeholders, and get them on board as well so that we can enlarge that ecosystem to do innovation. So you're using a mirror to, um, uh, to hold in front of your people so that they can learn more about themselves. You coach them, you, uh, yes. you work on their, their, their most important talent. So what is your most important talent? It took me a while to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Actually, when I became CIO at the age of 41, I didn't know what the talent was. Mm -hmm. But I figured it out during my first six, seven years as CIO. Is First of all, I'm able to uh, absorb a lot of information for all kinds of different contexts and then create a cohesive inspiring vision out of that mm -hmm. where there are things in there or connecting dots that most people don't see. Yeah. One of my, my former managers, it was very frustrated, he said, I, I, I'm really frustrated because, because you, the amount of information you're, you're capable to absorb and then get those two, three relevant questions out of it, that's unbelievable. I said, yeah, but that's my talent, yeah. right? So if I can use that to set the stage and provide the compass for the team moving forward, mm -hmm. that gives them the reassurance to let go of the past. Yeah. Yeah. Because what is the key issue with change is that people do not see the future. If you're able to create that future, mm -hmm. even, if it does, it, even if it is not there yet, mm -hmm. but you can, grant, you can show them the vision of what is ahead of them, then they move. Huh? Then they move because focusing on the rationality for why they have to move yeah. doesn't motivate people. Huh? And yeah, some people say you have to make clear what's in it. For me, I do not agree. That's too narrow-minded and too selfish. Mm -hmm. But to depict or to describe a positive future is what is needed. Yeah. And that it is cohesive and coherent. And that's my job. And that's what I believe fairly good at. Uh, very interesting. I mean, we, um, we're using not necessarily scientific MBTI uh, personality tests uh, in, in these uh, conversations and these uh, interviews that we do. And you shared with us that your personality type is INTG. And I wanted to read um, a, a small uh, description of an INTG, and I think it will strike just what you, mm -hmm. what you just said. INTGs are also called the architect. And INTGs are analytical problem solvers. They're eager to improve systems and processes with innovative ideas. They have a talent for seeing possibilities for improvement, whether at home, at uh, work, in themselves and they are typically independent, selective about relationships, preferring to be associated with people who find uh, who they find intellectually stimulating. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, does that resonate? What I uh, with with how you look at yourself? 
Yeah, it was interesting because the initially I said, mm, is, is that the kind of person I am? Mm -hmm. um, but if I'm honest with myself, up to the age of 41 when, when I became a CIO, mm -hmm. that was exactly who I was. Mm -hmm. I, I've been a consultant for most of that time, uh, yeah. up to that point, very knowledgeable, uh, very uh, much capable of connecting the dots between business and, 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 and IT and, and defining strategies for yeah. board and executive committee. So that resonated well. Now, of course, once you become a C-level, you have to extend that uh, from that core person into other dimensions, like the more relational stuff. Yeah. Uh, 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 so that has been a learning for you? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, motivating teams. Uh, yeah. That has been a learning curve. Uh, uh, going out and, and describe the message because one of the characteristics that was on that uh, architect one that you are very introvert Yeah, I used to be very introvert But if I say to people now I'm an introvert person they, they laugh they say you're not an introvert person at all But that's something you grow into because you yeah. feel that that is a capability you need to become successful uh, That's why when I have for example an enterprise architect from my team in front of me, mm -hmm. fully aware of how important that function is, and he gives me a presentation. I say, well, it, content-wise, it was brilliant, but you have been speaking for half an hour to a screen and not to my face. Yeah. That is something that's going to block your further development, so you have to work on that. Yeah. And why did I say that? Because I've gone through the same kind of evolution. Huh? Yeah. You see? So... Um, the goal is to keep expanding your capabilities and to become the richer version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And But at the core of it all, I resonate fairly well with being that kind of a person that you describe. And how did you how did you develop yourself? Was that a conscious uh, training that you that you took for being more uh, more a coach? Um, were there anything special or, or, or was it was it self-taught? Because it's it doesn't necessarily come naturally because your natural instinct is to be a, an analytical problem solver mm -hmm. uh, much more than, than than a coach and, and a relationship person yeah i grew into that mm -hmm. i didn't do much training uh, not the kind of person who likes to sit in uh, team sessions for five days uh, telling uh, how do you feel about this and, yeah well, voila, <laughs> and there you go uh, <laughs> but it's uh, I, I follow my gut feeling quite. Yeah. I, I believe that I have some kind of a sixth sense that I've inherited from my mother. She was very sensitive with regard to people and interrelationships mm -hmm. and so on. And I think part of her DNA sits in me. Huh? Uh, my father was a civil engineer, so the analytical part probably came from there. So I hope I'm the blend of the best of them. Of huh? course huh? you are. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, of course I am. Of, why the question? That's probably the analytical part that wants to challenge that. But it's something you grow into. Also yeah. because you have the opportunity to do that. If you're a consultant and you're doing a, a strategy job, yeah, it's analytical, tick a tuck and, yeah. and, and, and frameworks. And then you say, buff, here you go. You're not the one who's going to implement it. But if all of a sudden, from being an architect to be the contractor who has to do it, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a totally different thing. Huh? Yeah. When I joined AVV, they said, well, you've worked the architect for the business and IT transformation. Would you be willing to come and do it? Mm -hmm. yeah. And different, that, of course, yeah. for me, that felt, and it was really a, a sort of a vital, no, vital, a crucial, fundamental moment in my life where I had to take the decision, do I go left yep. or do I go right? Left is continuation of what you were doing. Mm -hmm read stay in the comfort zone yeah which started to feel a little bit too much like a comfort mm -hmm. zone because if you're dealing with a new assignment after 10 minutes you say oh there we go again don't you see what's wrong 
that's, that's not good for a consultant. Mm -hmm. Or to step to the other side and say, well, I want to build something because I'm also a builder. Mm -hmm. Somebody who can say after five years, I did that instead of creating a pile of paper and then leaving it up to others. So at 41, I had to make a decision. Do I go left or right? And I took the right option, huh? which was basically get out of your comfort zone and become the better version of yourself and make sure that what you are lacking complements the strengths of what you already are. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think, part of life, you know. Yeah. So what makes you happy? When are you happy in your life and, and, and in your work? Um, when I see things moving forward, mm -hmm. when I'm able to inspire people, for sure people much younger than me. Huh? This morning I had the privilege to speak for 450 people with an average age 20 years younger than me. If those people after the speech come to you and say, wow, I didn't see that coming, that was really inspirational and mm -hmm. that's cool, then I'm a happy person. Huh? And to see people grow, that makes me a happy person. Uh, I don't want to go and stand front stage. I do that a lot because I have the skills to create an inspirational story. But I do that for my team and to make sure that they can, can grow. So um, being that architect person and not having dealt with teams and motivating them and, and allowing them to go into different directions. Prior to become a CIO, I wasn't aware of that, that that gave me I wouldn't even thought of the fact that that would give me joy. Mm -hmm. Now it does. Yeah? And I leave the analytical part more to others. Yeah? Although I still try to spend time on what's next, yeah? which allows me to tap into those analytical capabilities yep. once more and to see what is behind the horizon. Yeah? Because we live in such exponential times that beyond the horizon, very fast becomes before the, the horizon <laughs> and standing at your front door. So yeah. that's my role. So I still leverage and use those capabilities. But um, yeah, being someone who enables uh, the community builder role requires me to focus a lot more on other stuff yeah. as well, which is okay and which I like. You learn from your father, you learn from your mother, mm -hmm. and you combine, of course, the, the good qualities that they, uh, that they have. Who were the other people that you learned from? The people that you look up to that were mentors in your life? Oh, that's always an interesting one, eh? because you, then you have to start picking names. Um, if I reflect on what's maybe the most important thing in all of them is that they also were a mirror for me. Mm -hmm. Where they, first of all, gave me the space to grow knowing pretty well that I would fail sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, but that they were there as well as a coach to hold that mirror in front of me and say, well, maybe you could do this or that, or maybe you should reflect on this or that, without being judgmental mm -hmm. or without showing the path that they thought would be the best. Huh? Um, because three or four names, not necessarily people I met in professional life, but um, at all kinds of level, in the private life, professional life, societal life, I think there's a common denominator if I would have to summarize what they have meant for me. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and also now in my profession, I meet people uh, that uh, have the talent to think very far into the future and to put seeds in the ground 
saying, well, you won't see anything happening for the next year or so, but mm -hmm. rest assured in two years, three years from now, you will see things happening. And that is also quite interesting and inspirational, given the fact that we are Port Authority dealing with an ecosystem of a thousand companies with uh, 20 billion euros of added value, 140,000 jobs involved, 5% of GDP. That's the kind of thing you need to do because yep. yeah, quarterly driven focus, that's not part of our uh, DNA. Eh? Mm -hmm. Also infrastructure, we deal with infrastructure with a time frame of decades, yep. up to 100 years. Eh? The oldest lock is 100 years old. So that kind of long, short, medium and long term view on that ecosystem is something which is for me fairly new mm -hmm. eh? because I've always worked for stock listed companies uh, then you're in the quarterly driven eh? yep. kind of approach. Now you have a totally different dimension. Also the balance between profit making, return on investment, EBITDA, traditional stuff in a commercial entity versus the societal relevance mm -hmm. of it all. Eh? We have a board Half of them is the political coalition of the city. Half of them are independent captains of industry. Yeah. It has been created as such on purpose to have that balance in view between societal dimension and focus areas versus the economic one. Yeah. Because we have to marry them and we have to merge them to some degree, but that's not always easy. They do not always align at the beginning. Yeah. So where is the common ground to make sure that the long-term goals of the Port Authority and its role are being fulfilled keeping in mind uh, relevance that is much broader than just our yep. own strict responsibilities. And is that part of your motivation as well? Oh to yeah, work, for to sure. Work in the port? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I have a nautical heart eh, because uh, if you go back in time, um, I have, as you already said in the beginning, I have a, a master in transport economics. I grew up in the Sea Scouts. My wife was a maritime forwarder. My sister is professor at the nautical college. My uh, <laughs> brother-in-law uh, is a former ship captain. Uh -huh. Uh, my grandfather was a ship mechanic and my grand-grandparents were barge owners. So it's part of my DNA. You're finally at home then. I'm f yeah, really, I'm finally at home. I always felt, and this is no joke, throughout the 25 years that I was not working in the port, that one day I would work in the wow. port. So when the, the phone call, actually the <laughs> literal phone call came, would you be interested in, my heartbeat went up with 10 beats. Wow. That's actually, it's a fairy tale come true. Okay. It is. Wonderful. Now, uh, I'm sure, I mean, this, this video will be uh, watched by many people around the world and certainly by uh, future CIOs, future digital leaders, people in the 30s and uh, early 40s and so on that have the uh, aspiration to become CIO, CDO, CTO, CI, uh, innovation officer and, and, and so on. What words? Um, what would the advice be that you would give to younger people today mm. if they have the ambition to grow in, in functions like that you have today? Yeah. Recently, I read a small book called From Grits to Great, where, mm -hmm. Grits to Great, where uh, two people analyzed what made people in sports or in business successful. Mm -hmm. And it uh, resonated pretty well with me. Uh, and by the way, the first lesson learned is that if you observe these people, they failed miserably again and again and again before they became successful. Mm -hmm. I think that's already the most important thing because uh, we live in a culture that is not really open for failure. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, this morning there was a testimonial at the conference of a young woman who had uh, started up a blockchain company two years ago 
and she failed, but she learned a lot. And uh, the company she worked for, for whom I was presenting, didn't know that. And she said, well, I, I almost don't dare to tell, but I used to have a startup company and failed. And they looked at her and said, why don't you want to tell that? Yeah. I uh, was on a, an inspiration trip in uh, November in Israel. That's the first thing they say. I had three startups, two failed, and I learned a lot of them. It's part of their culture to find that interesting and to have appreciation for that. Yep. So, okay, certainly in this world that is in transformation, looking at failure in that context is very, very uh, negative. Huh? So uh, going back to the book, huh? Uh, they said, we see four characteristics. Those people, they take initiative. Mm -hmm. They don't sit idle and wait until it's all cleared out. They're bold. Yep. They're very um, curious about the world. They're, they're willing to discover, see what works, doesn't work, and so on. They have tenacity. Mm -hmm. uh, um, they they uh, keep on focusing. Uh, and f finally, they don't give up when they are faced with failure. They mm -hmm. see that as a learning opportunity. Yep. So I think those are four good characteristics. Initiative. Initiative, curiosity, goal-focused, and never get up even if you fail. Yeah. Because they have failed miserably. Some of yep. these people, everybody looks up to. If you read their story in life, you go like, is this for real? Huh? Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs, I don't know if you've read his uh, biography, but he made terrible mistakes. Yeah. But the three, four that he got right created one hell of a company. Yeah. Huh? That's the way it works. Huh? And at the same time, don't be, uh, be patient. It takes time to become the better person of yourself mm -hmm. and to step up that ladder in yeah. terms of responsibilities. You need to have experience in life. Mm -hmm. I often have to tell that to people, young people are eager, they say, yeah, you're so inspirational, and yeah, this and that, and I said, listen, if I would be boring for you, given the fact that I have 25 years ahead of you, yep. what kind of a boring life would I have had? It's yep. logical that I am a source of inspiration for you, because I've gone through all of these experiences, and many of them weren't that pretty, by the way, huh? but I learned out of that, I took it with me, and now I'm capable to show that and demonstrate that to you with everything that I have become in the meantime. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take you time. And don't look at those few examples that at the age of 25 or CEOs, they are a minority. Mm -hmm. You're talking about zero dot and whatever comes next. So, okay, they're a source of inspiration. But if you think that's the norm, think again. And you need that. Right? experience in life with all the bumps and the bruises yep. and hitting against the wall and so on that makes you the, that makes you a stronger person if you would have if you would know what you know now when you were 25 would you still go the same path in, in into it technology digital is that is that a fulfilling career path for you oh, you know um to some degree i've always thought that an irrelevant question. I'm happy with what I, the decisions I took. Mm -hmm. huh? But life is full of crossroads and you take decisions along the way. And uh, I can imagine zillions of other scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, um, zillions of scenarios I could have taken and yeah, what outcome would that have been? Huh? I could have started to work in the, in the port, 
because my first job offering was something in the port, but somehow it didn't feel right and yep. I took something else. I started to work for a bank, something during my studies, I've always said, I will do anything but a bank. But a bank. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started to work for a bank anyhow, because it's, it looked like an opportunity as a junior to, to grow and, to, be, to, and to, to become a senior. And when I left after five years, it was re really warm feelings about what I had, I had been able to do yep. and the capabilities I had gathered along the way. And then because of the fact that in that bank, I was at the beginning of the dot-com era, which looks very familiar, familiar and feels very familiar with the startup, the startup community that we see now and the focus on startups, dot-com was more or less the same thing. Okay, yeah. technology-wise, completely different, but the entire atmosphere around it. Huh? The uh, hooray, hooray atmosphere with regard to what technology would do in the short run and underestimating what it would do in the long run. Yeah. Eh? Statements that being, were being made in three years from now, eh? we're going to go uh, all on the internet and there will be no shops anymore. We will all shop online. It's a little bit like in three years from now, blockchain will blow everything away. Mm -hmm. yeah, not, not necessarily. I don't think so. But in the long run, yeah, you saw what happened with retail and blockchain for sure will transform entire industries. Mm -hmm. so, so in that time I was there and they looked at me and said, yeah, you're 27, uh, you know something of internet and, and intranet and all that kind of technologies, do something with it. So that's how I got into IT, but always reflect with a reflection on what can we do with it to support an organization moving forward. Mm -hmm. In its strategic goals. I still remember having conversations with board members in 1995 saying, well, internet, well, maybe we'll do a website, but we'll never ever do something transactional over the internet. Well, you know, if you reflect <laughs> on that from the perspective of 2019, it sounds a little bit silly, but that's yep. the way it always goes. Huh? Yep. I had colleagues at the time who said, well, you know, in the 70s and 80s, we did studies on how many people can you allocate to one telephone and what is the business case for a fax machine? <laughs> That's what happens. But if no. you've seen that cycle repeatedly, then the next time it happens, you say, okay, there we go again. So if we would have a pile of money, in what technology should we invest it in? <laughs> Probably in the technologies we're not even aware of mm -hmm. that are on the horizon. Um, well, for sure, the technology that are on the radar now, uh, IoT kind of things, uh, blockchain, AI, yeah, for sure. Eh? Not in the time frame everybody's predicting. It will take some. Always a it will longer. take a lot, of, eh, a lot more time. But for sure, everything that has to do with energy transition, uh, circular economy, creating a new economy, eh? dealing with climate change and so on, for sure as well. So. Uh, if, if I see at what we are continuously scanning, it's far, far beyond the traditional realm of IT. Right? We're dealing with sensors, cameras, yep. radars, uh, things that traditionally you would say, oh, is, is that part of an IT department? Yep. So, huh? But um, yeah, putting money on something, yeah, maybe the better choice is to spread it a little bit <laughs> and not go for the one thing like Bitcoin or something because it can explode in your face. It's, yeah. it's nascent technology. All of these things are nascent technologies. Huh? Um, but it's what I believe, and that is probably the next big thing, is blending of technologies. Huh? Mm -hmm. Infotech and nanotech, infotech and biotech, infotech and robotics. Huh? And that's going to create an even richer pool of resources, technology resources to pull out from. Huh? Yeah. Um, and you have to continuously scan that and be aware of it. 
So walking around as a curious child is probably the best attitude. Mm -hmm. So with your view on, on how technology has changed over the last 20 years or so, and, 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 and uh, your analysis of where we are and, and where we're going, how do you visualize the port in, let's say, 10, 15 years? Well, we have autopilot on every boat. Where do you see the big changes, the big improvements in, let's say, the port of Antwerp with, with technology that's coming? Yeah. <coughs> well, if we, if we look at our traditional roles as a landlord operator regulator, huh, our challenge right now is that we have to do that across an area of 120 square kilometers. Mm -hmm. To put that in perspective, the entire city of Antwerp, you can put it six times in the port. So how do you make sure that as an, as an operator regulator, you continuously know what is going on so that you can act upon it when it's happening? Yeah? And to uh, extend your horizon further away mm -hmm. so that you can prepare yourself. So our vision is that gradually that entire port area will be overlaid with a digital nervous system, mm -hmm. comparable to a nervous system in your body that continuously gives you signals on what is happening or what is pushing from the outside. Yep. Yeah. And we do that to make sure that <coughs> we become, we go to the next levels of operational efficiency, that we go to the next levels of safety and security, which are primary focus areas. Uh, so it will become something comparable to a body, where all kinds of elements and components, being it the ones who are responsible for nautical traffic, the terminals, the tugboats, the pilots, customs and so on, act as an ecosystem in symbiosis that continuously feed one another with relevant data and relevant insights they can act upon. For us as a port authority on the macro level, it means that we can get closer to our, to our theoretical capacity mm -hmm. that we have as a port because we have, just, have to justify to society before we go and ask for additional investments, how well are you using what you have been given? Huh? You see? So that is the vision we have, that it will become uh, an ecosystem instead of siloed stakeholders that have a role to play in that ecosystem, but that continuously, um, that do not correlate really well and that creates frictions, that creates gaps in the process flow. Uh, yep. and, um, but it will be injected with a lot of technology that is going to make that digital nervous system a reality. And for us, it will allow us both in the physical world and in the digital or in the VR world to go into that port and see what is going on. Yeah. Okay. Are there any last things that you would like to share? Thoughts, ideas, visions, insights? that you would like to share in this conversation? Well, during a, a recent keynote, I uh, closed down with a key message saying that my vision in life is that you have problems, opportunities, and challenges. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, that in life you have problems, challenges, and opportunities, but that it is actually three times the same thing, only the mindset is different. Mm -hmm. I believe that, based upon my own experience, if you look at the world in terms of opportunities instead of problems, that a new world opens itself, mm -hmm. that you see a lot of things that can be done. And uh, it allows you to step away from being risk averse to be risk embracing. Mm -hmm. And certainly in times where a lot of things are changing, where we face a lot of challenges at a global scale, that is the kind of attitude that is going to give us the solutions that we need. Okay, and with that, 
Erwin, thank you very much for your time, for coming over. It's been uh, my um, pleasure. And it was, I think, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful interview. And so I hope you all learn a lot from, uh, from this. Thank you. Thank you.